You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is another Deep Cuts episode. This time around, it's my co-host Randy Larson and I, and you will know Randy from the Classic Records episodes. And uh, we've had such a great time, such a great response. Uh, We're going to do more of these. And um, this one is going to be both of us coming off of the list of our own deep cuts. So how's it going, Randy? Doing all right, man. Hanging in there, you know, trying to survive this craziness. Yeah. Uh, By now, you guys have probably heard the Circus of Power episode. And um, I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Al was awesome, and as you guys can imagine, there's an entire interview that I did with him that uh, was really cool, and I'm going to run the entire interview on my own personal podcast, Everything Went Black. So by the time this episode airs, you can head over to everythingwentblackmedia.com and check out the uh, link uh, for that complete interview with Al Mitchell from Circus of Power. And actually, um, his book just showed up in the mail, the book Carol. I don't know if uh, we, we touched on it a little bit in the episode, and I haven't read it yet, but I thumbed through it, and it pretty much lives up to everything you would expect from um, a book by Al Mitchell. You know, kind of, yeah, you know, kind of wild living, you know, booze, women, that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Sure, man. Sure. Um yeah, I gotta, I gotta get on that. I haven't ordered one yet, but I gotta, I gotta do that. I keep forgetting. Yeah. So anyone out there is interested, just go to Facebook. Al Mitchell. You have to friend him on Facebook first, and then you can get links to all kinds of stuff related to Circus of Power and related to his writing. And uh, I always felt like his writing was uh, a strong point for the band, you know, lyrically and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's definitely like a storyteller sort of vibe in a lot of their lyrics. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, man. So uh, let's kick this off. Deep Cuts, we're going to do three bands and three records by those bands. Um, or say I should say one record per band, not three records per band. And um, right. stuff, yeah, that would make for a really long episode. And uh, this, <laughs> this might be stuff that you guys might have heard or might not have heard, and if you have, then that's awesome, and uh, let us know. Some of it's metal, some of it's not metal. I know that uh, the three that I picked are metal adjacent, let's say. So so you want to kick it off, Randy? Yeah, sure, man. So, uh, yeah, I would say mine are uh, metal adjacent as well, Um, with one of them being a little more metal than the other two. But I'm going to kick it off with uh, a band... Uh, keeping it in New York, uh, you know, a la Circus of Power in the 90s. I'm going to kick it off with a band from the 90s in New York called Crawl Pappy. Uh, and their one and only full-length album called Deluxe, which came out on We Bite Records in 1992. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Crawl Pappy. I know you know who they are, for yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. You know. They existed. They formed. I had a little trouble finding out the exact length of time they were around but i think they formed in like 89 or 90 they're around to like 94 ish they weren't around for long they released a uh 
a 12 inch on blackout records and a seven inch called temple body on blackout records. Uh, those were in like 90, 91 or something like that. Uh, the blackout records at the time put out bands like uh, sheer terror, uh, outburst and, uh, the classic New York hardcore comp where the wild things are. Yep. Um, although Carl Pappy was not on that. So, but they do not sound like any of those bands. Um, there's a band camp up now where you can get their title release. Unfortunately, this deluxe album, uh, I can't really find it anywhere, man. You can find, find the CD floating around, maybe on Amazon, something like that, or Discogs, but, uh, I don't see any digital format for the uh, Crawl Happy Deluxe full length, but there is a band camp with their their self-titled 12-inch and some extra tracks up there. And they describe their sound on there as beer-drinking, hardcore, and heavy rock. <laughs> I could see that. Um, yeah, I mean, the band, you know, featured ex-members of Agnostic Front, uh, Alice Donut, uh, Raw Deal, who went on to be Killing Time, um, and the singer for the band, Brian Childers, was also a longtime sound man at CBGB. Um, so he was, you know, in, you know, in the trenches of that scene. And, you know, they they existed playing a lot of hardcore shows. I remember seeing them. I never, uh, I only seen them once, and it wasn't really a hardcore show. They were uh, open for Helmet on the Meantime tour um, in Providence, and I seen them there. But they played a lot of shows, you know, uh, with like, Killing Time, and uh, a lot of hardcore shows. Um, I don't think they really went over that well, because I think they would have been more at home playing with bands like Circus of Power and Raging Slab, uh, or just as much at home, or more of the noise rock scene. You know, I could see them being on AMRAP, uh, Amphetamine Reptile Records. It's a label we talk about a lot on these podcasts. Um, so they were kind of like the odd man out in that New York scene. Um, but they're incredible, man. They Remind me of like, it's like the Rollins band maybe with a little bit of like early helmet and then a little bit of that like Circus of Power kind of gritty rock. They're a hard band to put a finger on, you know, when you're trying to describe them stylistically. Yeah, that was from the golden age, man, as I'm com coming to think of that time period in New York City, um, you know, that late 80s, early 90s, uh, post New York hardcore, if you want to say, and I hate using that word post, but literally, yeah, I, I literally mean post, that a lot of these bands were coming out of the 80s, um, having done, you know, the kind of New York hardcore of sound and moving into like uh, another phase, you know, so that's that's why right. I, you know, I like that that term feels apt. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man, Alice Donut, to think of, if you think of a band that has members of Alice Donut and Agnostic Front, that seems like <laughs> right. two of the most unlikely bedfellows that you can imagine, you know. And um, and Alice Alice Donut was a pretty far out band, and um, a band I quite like, you know. I mean, they were, uh, you know, it's kind of psychedelic, noisy, um, you know, heart like noise yeah. rock band, I guess. For that term didn't exist when they were around, but I would put them in that category. Yeah, there's some, uh, you know, like Unsane from New York and Surgery, some of those New York bands, Helmet, obviously. They got, they got some real love in the, in the noise rock scene. But there was, there was some of these bands, like Crop Happy and some other bands that kind of slipped, slipped through the cracks, you know. And I've always tried to, like, push this band on people, man. I just think they're incredible. Um, 
you know, they've, they've suffered some tragedy. I mean, uh, Alan Peters, who was the guy who played bass at Agnostic Front on the, I think it was in the Liberty and Justice record. There was also an Absolution, another New York hardcore band. He passed away this year. Uh, and the vocalist, Brian Childers, he passed away in 2007. Um, so, you know, there won't be a reunion with Crawl Pappy, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would care, but I would. Uh, the, uh, the lead guitar player, Rick Roy, did go on to form a band after Crawl Happy dissolved called Gin Mill. I don't know if you remember that band. I was going to bring that up because uh, you, you were talking about Blackout Records and, um, yeah. you know, Wreckage or Wreckage, however you want to pronounce it, was yeah. uh, another band, that another label rather, that sort of uh, existed in that same time period that put out sort of, you know, hardcore-esque bands that didn't quite fit the mold that at the time you might have looked at as harbingers of the next wave of what hardcore music was going to turn into. And uh, I believe Gin Mill was on wreckage records, or at least put That's something right. out on that label, right? Yeah, they put out a 12 inch uh, called Patron on wreckage in 1994. And I believe that was the only Gin Mill release. Um, cool side note to Gin Mill record i actually pulled it out the other day listened to it i was looking at the liner notes uh norman westberg from the swans plays on a song on that record which i thought was a, a cool tie-in because me and you are both huge swans fans uh, i never noticed that before that he does a appearance on that gin mill record yeah totally man that's uh yeah once again like that's that time period was a period of t a period where i had a lot of um hope for hardcore music, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like I felt, <laughs> right, right, right. I felt like in the you know early to mid '90s, all these cool influences were seeping in. You know, with Die One Sixteen, um, you know, bands like that. Uh, you know, and yeah. Gin Mill. They weren't really hardcore bands, but they they were out of that scene. They had members that played in hardcore bands in the '80s, and they were like mixing in all this cool stuff. Um, right. and it seemed like this new style was evolving, but it just really never went anywhere. And then hardcore took like a huge step back when that whole youth crew thing happened, the youth crew revival. And I, the, I was, the third, uh, the third youth crew revival. Yeah. And I was like really disappointed by that, man. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't, you know, people could do what they want, but I was like, it's like, I felt like in the nineties when all those bands started surfacing, it was almost like uh, being in like uh, a rockabilly uh, band in the in the nineties, where it's like, okay, cool, you know, you're writing songs that Carl Perkins wrote back in 1955, but it's 40 years later. But instead of like imitating Carl Perkins, you're imitating uh, Ray Capo and Porcello and those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that you know that. I wasn't, wasn't into that way. I mean, I was into the original wave of that kind of stuff, uh, but I, I don't need it for, you know, a third time. Because, you know, you could say a lot of those bands obviously borrowed from minor threat, negative approach, and stuff like that, but it was still different enough where, like, you know, the third wave, though, when you're just literally trying to write songs that sound exactly like you did today, I'm, I'm done. I'm all set, you know? <laughs> that was and, and, uh, boring to me. Yeah, and a testament to that is, like, you know, you mentioned minor threat and um, negative approach. John Brandon and Ian Mackay all went on. They never did anything that sounded like 
those bands ever again. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yep. Brandon, Brandon went on to do Laughing Hyenas and Easy Action. And, you know, now I know that he's touring yeah. under negative approach again. You know, and Ian McKay went on to do Embrace, Fugazi, The Evens, like all this other stuff that I'm not a huge fan right. of, like, a lot of that material. But at least it's different than Minor Threat, you know? Yeah, I agree, man. It's, you know, it's trying to push the creativity a little bit instead of just rehashing the same old thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll wrap it up with this, man, just the, uh, with the Crawl Happy uh, thing. Uh, a, a cool note was on the, they did a seven inch uh, called Temple Body on Blackout before this, uh, the deluxe album came out. And John Stanier from Helmet was the drummer on that uh, seven inch. Um, which is a cool connection that might be why they ended up on tour with Helmet once Helmet blew up, you know? That's really um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool side note. Uh, but yeah, my favorite tracks on this is a track called 16 Ounce Logic, a track called Saltine, and then another track called Off Balance, which has a, a very cool, almost like, you know, like Lungfish-esque kind of intro, and then like goes into like this real heavy, kind of noisy part it's cool man crawl happy deluxe is the name of the album and uh if you can find it hunt it down give it a listen if you're a fan of uh you know, that kind of stuff i'm talking about it's uh noise biker rock <laughs> that's a pretty good description actually <laughs> it's the best i could come up with <laughs> what do you got all right so uh right out of the box i'm gonna come out with some controversy on this of <laughs> the um <laughs> excellent but I really, truly love this band. Uh, they're Blue Tarsh. And that's, uh, I'll spell it out in case none of you guys out there have heard this band before. It's D-E-R, one word. Next word is B-L-U-T-H-A-R-S-C-H. And uh, the, the record that comes to mind as being one of their best is Philosopher's Stone. And um, they're from Austria. Uh, the the sole uh, member, the constant member, is this guy called Albin Julius. And uh, originally, this band started off as a solo project from his other band called The Moon Lay Hidden Beneath a Cloud. And um, that band was like 1993 era, 1993, like 95, I think that band existed. And uh, Der D- Blutarsch was this side project he started out, and it was kind of in the same vein, like an ambient... Uh, they use this term martial industrial to uh, classify them. And um, that had to do with like the usage of, uh, you know, marching drum beats and things like that. And, um, you know, other bands that followed the same kind of uh, suit were Leibach and um, uh, Boyd Rice's non, uh, some of Death and Jim's okay. material. Like I would say, the uh, the Nada record by Death and June might fall in that that uh, category, and uh, so now I imagine some red flags are probably coming up with some people out there, and um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll you know we'll address that right away. Uh, some of the controversy that Der Blutarsch had back in the day was in their early records they used uh, the Sig Rune rune in their um their logo and they've taken that out now as a matter of fact as a response to i guess some of the um controversy out there because you know once you start seeing imagery like that 
um, despite what the political uh, leanings of the members of the band might be, people will try to frame them as uh, being sort of like a neo-fascist sort of thing. And I'm going to make this other statement that uh, Julius actually worked with a bunch of uh, anarchist uh, industrial bands too. So, you know, he has like collaborations with um, an anarchist band called uh, Terroritsmo. And so similar to Alex, uh, sorry, Alex, to uh, Douglas P. from Death in June, he also has a foot in the anarcho-punk world which is not a fascist world, obviously. So, and the fact that I'm bringing this up is uh, really irrelevant to the music, but I feel uh, a responsibility to, you know, sort of underscore that, that this band, I don't, I don't believe it has any kind of, um, you know, neo-fascist views, despite the usage of some of this imagery, which might have, I would say is uh, probably used more to create an atmosphere than to portray any sort of uh, subjugation of other people or political beliefs. And, um, you know, that, that's, uh, I'm just going to go with that statement for now. And um, anyway, the, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the music is actually quite excellent. And um, their blue tar started out as a, an ambient band, and then, um, let's see, uh, the record that, they became like a rock band, like around 2003, and uh, the, with the record Time is the Enemy, and Philosopher's Stone came out uh, a little bit later than that, and it features uh, a more or less stable lineup that comprised of uh, Bane Wolfkind, a guy that you and I, I know both uh, are fans of his, uh, Jorg yes. B and Marti Martiana and um, let's see how would I describe this band uh, I would say there's like a psychedelic element um, there's a Bad Seeds birthday party element and there is an element of uh, I would say mid-period swans that add to this so there's a lot of layers of music um, there's, uh, introspective, uh, lyrics, except for the songs that, uh, Wolfkind actually, um, writes. And actually on this record, you can see there's a, there's a huge departure when Bane is involved. His, uh, his lyrics have, um, you know, more of like a sleazy vibe to them. And, you know, <laughs> it's like some references to sadomasochism and stuff like that. And then. The other material has this kind of, like I said, like an introspective, uh, you know, spiritual vibe to it. And uh, to make this band even more obscure, um, <laughs> this record doesn't have any uh, titles. All of <laughs> all of the songs are untitled. So uh, I was going to mention that. Yeah. So uh, you know, untitled one, two, three, four. You know, that's that's the names of the songs. <laughs> but if anyone wants to check this out. The two tracks that I think are great are the Bane tracks, and that's Untitled 3 and Untitled 5. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, this was a band that was not on my radar at all until I, we were on a tour together. Uh, for the short time I played with you in tunes. And we, I think we were at a hotel maybe in Detroit or something. 
getting ready to cross the border the next day into Canada. And uh, we were just chilling out, and you were watching some uh, some Bane Wolfkind uh, videos on your laptop. And you're like, hey, you check this guy out. And I had heard the name, but I had not checked him out at that point. So we spent like a half hour. You're like, oh, you got to see this one. You got to see this one. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, it's cool, man. So I downloaded the uh, the Bane Wolfkind album, Music for Lovers and Gangsters. Oh, yeah, man. Great one. Yeah, which is great. Uh, so that he was kind of my introduction uh, at the Durbutarsh, so which you also introduced me to that, you know, through him. So I, I picked up a copy of the Philosopher's Stone on CD uh, not too long ago, man, maybe like three or four months ago, like uh, beginning of this pandemic fucking nonsense. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, I think you did a great job, you know, describing that. Uh, the bands that came to mind, you know, when I was listening to it, and I just re-listened to it again last night, definitely the Swans, which you mentioned. I also hear some, uh, I don't know if you're a fan, but of the early Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely that in there, too. Uh, and also, uh, Popol Vu, who did a lot of those Warner Herzog film soundtracks, like the oh. Nos- Nosferatu soundtrack. Okay. I hear, hear a lot of that going on in there, too. You know, maybe not as much as Swans and Godspeed the Black Emperor, but I definitely get that that feel in there for sure. So yeah, man, it was, I was uh, very psyched when you turned me on to this record. I've listened to it a, a bunch of times. Uh, I'm a big fan. You know, I also became a fan of the Bane Wolf kind stuff. You know, through your recommendations. So anyone uh, out there who's into you know that kind of stuff, uh, like you said, the bad seeds kind of vibe too like uh definitely don't sleep on this record it's it's a great one and you're, you're mentioning the layout like uh the artwork there's there's no song titles but there's an amazing quote i don't know if you had this on cd or vinyl or what but there's a quote on the back panel of the cd and it just says uniforms are always changing rock and roll will stay forever and i yeah. think that's a great quote considering the record is like it's a rock it's like a rock formula i mean there's bass and drums and guitars and keyboards but it's not like a rock and roll record but maybe in their eyes they're like this is our fucking rock and roll record you know that's how we hear rock and roll so yeah it's a, it's a great record man. it's a great choice yeah totally and it's also on apple music so if anyone wants to protest uh this band you can protest apple music for putting it on too the 2020 disclaimers always have to come out <laughs> But I mean, all their songs are about like, you know, like love and longing. There's, you know, songs about, you know, there's no political aspect to this band, really, you know? Right. So. Unless you're looking for one. Yeah. You know. Which, you know. All right, what's next, man? What's next? (laughs) (laughs) My next pick is a, a newer band, which, you know, we like to throw a new band in there sometimes, too. Uh, The band is Barishi from Brattleboro, Vermont. And disclaimer, we need a disclaimer for Barishi too, Mike. Uh, they are great friends of ours. Yeah, we toured with them. Yep. Oh, we toured with them. Right, that's where we met those guys, and I think we have both kept in touch with those guys, especially Graham, the singer, uh, guitar player. He's like the main, he's the dude that keeps the wheels moving over there at the Barishi uh, Rock Factory. So, uh, I feel like that's a band that does not get enough attention. They this is uh, they've just put out their third album. The album I want to cover is their newest album came out April twenty fourth, twenty twenty, year of COVID, on Season of Mist Records, uh, called Old Smoke. 
And unfortunately, they're one of those bands that's putting out new material this year and can't do a lot to support it. Um, definitely want to give those guys a shout out. The record is absolutely incredible. Um, I know you've checked it out. I, trying to think how to describe it. I mean, I hear like Yob and I hear everything from Yob to like Morbid Angel in there. <laughs> it's it's not a death metal record by any means, but like I hear moments of that in there. It's I usually don't like when bands try to mix too many styles into one thing. But I feel like they do it perfectly. Like there's like there's parts that sound like death metal and there's also like moments where it sounds like Neil Young and Crazy Horse. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they you know what I mean? They just they they pull it off so good. Like we were we're on tour with them, they closed every night with the song, the title track, Old Smoke. And when it starts, it sounds like very, you know, melancholy and melodic. It doesn't sound like really like anything else leading up to it in the set. And then it kind of goes off in a different direction and uh gets a little more he- a little heavy. And there's also the vocals are a little more mixed up on that one. A little uh little more singing. Uh it's interesting that I believe the first night of that tour we played with them was at RPM Fest up in uh, Western Mass. And uh I also believe that was the first show or one of the first shows. I think it was the first show that Graham took over the vocal duties. And uh he just seemed like he was doing it from Correct. I wasn't aware of that, really. That was the first time he sang live with the band. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess they had two different singers oh, before man. Graham took over the vocals. Like a, they have a first album, which I've never heard, who I think has a different singer. And then their first album on Season of Mist that came out, I think, like four or five years ago at this point, has a, they had a singer. And they just recently split with that singer before we did that tour. So all that material they played on tour was pretty much stuff from this old, new album, Old Smoke. And uh, Graham had just taken over the vocal duties. And I mean, to me, it seemed like he'd been doing it forever. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Um, yeah, they also <laughs> added a second guitar player, uh, a guy oh. named Joe Nickerson. Um, played in some other bands up in the New England area. Um, I've not seen him with Joe yet as a four-piece. Um, you know, and... Uh, like I said, the stuff's all over the place. There's also a band uh, called Eagle Twin from out in Salt Lake City, Utah, who has members that used to be in Iceburn. And uh, they remind me a lot of uh, Barishi, too, a little bit. I don't know if you ever checked out Eagle Twin. Like We played with them uh, on a, one of the tours we did many years ago in, in Salt Lake City, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they... I don't know if it's the guitar. Something about it reminded remind me of uh, Barishi, too. So if anyone is a fan of Eagle Twin, definitely should check out uh, check out Barishi. Yeah, man, they're you know they're like great friends of ours. And uh, you know Graham was uh, gracious enough to come down and uh, do a guitar solo on the last uh, Cable album. You know, and you also, Mike, were there for that. Yep. Um, you know, he drove five hours, came down ripped a guitar solo in like 15 minutes, like one or two takes, and then just got in his car and drove home another five hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, madman that he is, you know, he, Graham's great. He's an old soul, man. You know, he's like, he's a younger guy compared to us, us old fucks, but like, you know, he's just, he's an old soul, man. You know, he's really into like seventies, uh, rock and Zeppelin, I think is his favorite band. He's just into all kinds of cool stuff that usually, people a little older than him are into, you know? So, uh, 
Yeah, you have any thoughts on Barishi, Mike? I know you're. I think you're introduced to them the same way I was on tour, right? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, it was that you know we're we're uh, label mates with them now, and um, that was the first time right. I'd heard them, and I had listened to their material leading up to the tour because uh, at the time that we had the same booking agent too, so that's how that tour happened, and um, I, I actually I like Barishi more than Eagle Twin, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I th- Graham is like a, a incredibly talented guitar player, man. And I was like blown away by his uh, playing and his solo abilities on that every night yeah. of the tour. And then the solo that he dropped on, on the cable record was like, you know, it was like some fucking, <laughs> you know, I was like, it's like Eric Clapton or some shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, all right, maybe I should, uh, I'll take a quick moment here to set the stage a little better. Like, me and Mike were the only people. The whole my whole band cable was in the studio along with uh, some other friends of ours and stuff. And Mike, you were there, so Graham was walking into the situation where he only knew Mike was the other only other person he knew there besides me. Um, and this was a very cramped studio. I mean, it was a small space, and there was like couches on either side. Like everybody that was there was literally sitting around, and he just walked in, said hi, sat in the center of everybody. And just like within fucking, I know he probably nailed it the first take. I know he did more than one take just to have extra takes. But like it was like fucking Greg Allman just like lifted the cover. I mean, I'm sorry, Dwayne Allman just lifted the cover of the coffin. You know, it was like all right, <laughs> yeah, and dust off and come down here and be like, I don't know who these fucking people are, but okay, I'm just gonna rip like one of the thickest fucking guitar solos ever, and then I'll be like, all right, guys, have a good day. You know, see you later. It was just insane, dude. <laughs> you know yeah totally man and they're you know their new record is is awesome too man so definitely go out and you know check it out and uh you know support some of the other bands on season of mist you know that have records coming out this year too so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not a bad idea uh yeah man uh well what do you got next uh my next is bambara which uh shout out to retta evans over at Fifth Estate Tattoos in uh, in Arizona, and um, she actually hit me up about this band. She recommended them to me, um, knowing that uh, you know what my proclivities are when it comes to music. And um, I'd never heard of this band before, and uh, that this was right before the pandemic happened. And they were supposed to. They're from Brooklyn, by way of uh, Athens, Georgia just to get that out there. They're originally from Athens <clears throat> and they moved, they moved to New York. Like a lot of bands do to, to get their thing going on. Uh, but they were right. supposed to be playing in Brooklyn a few weeks after I found out about them. And then of course that was canceled because the city went into uh, a severe, you know, lockdown. So that show never happened. But in that interim, I, I became a huge fan of, all their records and this record from 2018 shadow on everything is uh that's like my go-to when it comes to these guys and um they're basically a high school band that's stuck together uh you know they they've been around since 2009 um the the core members are reed Bati and blaze Bati, who are brothers and reads uh, the vocalist who plays a little bit of guitar Blaze is the drummer, 
And then the bass player is uh, William Brookshire. And, um, yeah, it's – let's see here. Uh, what would I say about them? I would say that if you're into, like, the gun club, um, you're into Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, uh, the birthday party, and even, um, like, the cramps maybe. Like, this is kind of for you. It's uh, um, like a – southern gothic influenced lyrics um you know, i read an interview with the singer reed and he's uh, he's saying a lot of his writing is um inspired by uh you know flannery o'connor who wrote okay. you know wise blood and uh the violent bear it all away those are the only two uh, full-length novels she wrote and um the films of uh david lynch and wong kar wai and, uh, of course, David Lynch, we all know who he is, and Wong Kar Wai. Uh, probably the two films I love by him is The Chunking Express and Days of Being Wild. Those are great movies. And I can, having read that and having read Reed's lyrics, I can see the connection. The lyrics are very narrative. There's, like, a story being told, uh, very cinematic. And, um, you know, the, the music itself, the earlier music was a lot noisier. Like, there was almost, like, an industrial, like, primitive tape loops and electronics and things like that earlier on in their career. But on Shadow on Everything, it's more just a rock band with, like, you know, kind of uh, reverby guitars, like that bass drums connection, like the birthday party had, and uh, very rhythmic. And, um, you know, the vocals, like, for... You know, I, 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 I wouldn't say this initially, but if you're not familiar with, like, early Nick Cave and, like, the Gun Club, I can say that maybe there's a little bit of, like, a Jesus Lizard, David Yao thing with the vocals. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're, you know, great band. Like, a, they're on constant rotation around here. And uh, mainly this record. And um, I would say my favorite tracks are Jose Tries to Leave, uh, Dark Circles, which is the lead-off track on the record, and Monument. And this is all out there on Spotify. It's easy to find. You, know, you can buy it directly from their band camp. And uh, if uh, things turn around, and whenever it is that live shows are happening again, I'm going to make it a point to fucking see these guys live. I bet they're, they're sick live. So, Well... I'm going to do the same thing, Mike. I hope I can join you in that. Um, today's Sunday, and I found out this band existed on Friday. <laughs> uh, you were kind enough to uh, give me a little forward of the, the records you want to cover on this episode. So right away when I seen this name pop up in the text from you, I didn't have any clue who you were talking about. So you know, I couldn't I couldn't go into battle here, and you know, not knowing what's going on. So I downloaded their newest record from 2020 called Stray and listened to it on my way home from work on Friday and was totally blown away that I didn't know who this band was because it really, they really touch on a lot of stuff that I'm really into. Um, I've never heard the name before. So I was like real stoked, you know, and then I went back and looked at the text and realized you were, it was a different album you wanted to cover. So I went and downloaded that one as well and checked it out. And, uh, Really awesome stuff, man. Like, you hit the nail on the head, like, with the Nick Cave uh, birthday party comparison. Um, although it's weird, like, 
there's a lushness to a lot of their music. And if you can, you can't really have a lushness to the birthday party. Cause the birthday party is so like, you know, in your face and aggressive, but like, if you can imagine the birthday party being a little, a little more, uh, lush sounding, um, another band, uh, that probably would be a good one to cover on this episode. Uh, one of these episodes, deep cuts is a band from London called gallon drunk. Oh yeah, totally. I don't know if you're, yep. I hear some of them in there, uh, too, which is a band, uh, you know, most people probably aren't familiar with, but, uh, also, uh, were you ever a fan of beast milk or the band they turned into called grave pleasures? Um, you know, I, I can see why I should like them, but I don't like them. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I like both of those bands and I, you know, I see, uh, I see where you could connect the dots stylistically between what Bambar is doing and what, you know, the great pleasure is kind of doing. I think they, they live in the same kind of atmosphere. Um, but man, that was a real nice surprise when you texted me that and I checked these guys out. I had no idea what to expect. And, uh, and you know, uh, Halloween's right around the corner and on my eyes, once August is over, Halloween's right around the corner. So, this is also a great band, a great fall band, I think. You know, they have that kind of like horror, dark vibe going on. Oh, yeah. Well, the name of the record is Shadow on Everything. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that record's great. The new record I checked out, Stray, is great. So, anyone who's into that kind of stuff, man, you know, I would definitely make it a point to check out these guys. Cool and, and, uh, and for those of you out there who listen to the Evan Patterson episode, um, where we talked about his band JJL. If you're a fan of JJL, you probably would be a fan of Bambara. And likewise, if you like Bambara, you would probably like JJL because they're both in that American Gothic, Southern Gothic vibe. You know, there's like a blues thing going on, but there's like a real like darkness to the music. And I think that those two things go well together. I can see these bands touring actually. I think that'd be great. Yeah, that's great comparison. Yeah, JJL's another great band. Uh, yeah, I could see that'd be a cool tour, huh? Yeah. Make it happen, Mike. Well, we have to be Make able to tour first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we can make it happen in like a different country because you'd probably be able to tour in another country before this one. Well, they, we would. They would probably wouldn't allow us in there, but you know, we'd have to go into like a month long, um, you know, quarantine. quarantine. So. <laughs> it's like a day off that last 14 days it's great. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're up man what's next alright my my third and final entry to this episode like is a record you may be familiar with it's by a band called Versoma get the fuck out of here man called yeah. Life During Wartime well, you, you know, played with that record? I played on that record, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Really? Uh, I switched up my gears here. I had a different third pick and uh, this morning, actually. Uh song came up on Shuffle on my phone. And I was like, holy shit, this would be a great record to cover on this episode. And I figured, what better time to do it than with, from the source, you know? I feel like, you know, this is the this is the missing link that a lot of people probably don't know about between your your band Anodyne and your current band tunes. This was like the connect the dots band in some ways. So I thought it'd be cool if you kinda of, 
you know, talked about it a little bit. Oh, that's a really cool way of tricking me into, you know, talking about this record. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was definitely, um, an ill fated record. And we had really, uh, high hopes, Jamie Getz and I, of doing this record. Right. Um, you know, Jamie Getz was in Lick Golden Sky and, uh, I was in Anodyne. And this started out as a side project. Uh, well, I guess Lick Golden Sky had disbanded in like a pretty, um, like I think everyone was pretty pissed off at each other. And Jamie was doing uh, this band, Gods and Queens, where it was just him, I suppose. And then we joined forces and we created this band, Versoma. And um, originally it was going to be called Matamoros, uh, but then somebody, uh, some dude, pointed out some weird connection between that and like some kind of racist like vibe. So we decided to change the band name. And, uh, as far as I know, Matamoros is a town in Mexico. <laughs> so uh, I don't know like right. where this guy's coming from. He's got something to do with like uh, killing Moors or something. And I was just like, all right, whatever. But I was all, yeah, all okay. gung ho to keep going with the name, but, um, our drummer at the time, uh, was like a little bit more PC than I was. And he, was like, oh, no, 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 we got to change the name of the band. So we came up with a made-up name for Soma. It's completely made up. And um, Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to ask you what it meant. No, it doesn't mean anything, you know. And uh, okay. this record, to me, plays like a mixtape uh, <laughs> between two different bands in some <laughs> ways. And because uh, there's obviously the material that Jamie wrote, and there's obviously the material that I wrote, and some of the songs are collaborative and uh, – I don't know. It was cool. We we had a hard time keeping a lineup together. Um, you know, the the lineup that recorded the record was a different lineup, and we I think to, in total we might have played about fifteen shows, and uh, a couple of those shows were supporting ISIS on the off nights they had on the Tool tour, and most right. of the shows were uh, supporting Red Sparrows and Daughters on like a, a short uh pseudo u.s tour that we all did together and then there was like a couple one-offs and that was it and then uh one night we just decided not to do the band anymore <laughs> huh. well uh first off i am a fan of this record i enjoy this record that's why it's on my list and i think a lot of people don't know it exists and i think other people would enjoy it too they did know it exists and i did see you guys on one of those off nights of the uh, ISIS tool tour with ISIS at the living room in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's the first time I had seen you in a long time, I think. Uh, but there's also, you know, I was doing a little bit of reading. There's not a lot of information on this record, uh, but there was uh, a couple lines that are crossed here. Uh, on two different sources, one said it was recorded by you at Translator Audio, and one says it was recorded by Andrew Snyder. No, Snyder had nothing to do with the record. I recorded it. Okay, we'll see. I'm glad I asked you Translator Audio was his studio, though. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So you recorded it at his studio. That's correct. Okay. Um, and also, man, like, you know, it's it doesn't sound like... It sounds more like maybe some of the earlier tomb stuff than it does anodyne to me. Um, 
I hear like stuff like uh, Swerve Driver, uh, maybe a little bit of like My Bloody Valentine, and like you know I'm going to use the word post punk again, <laughs> post. Uh, but even like some of like the early Abolition bands, uh, Abolition records, uh, like Portraits of Past, stuff like that. Was that like stuff that influenced? Like, yeah, just it, the material you wrote on the record, or yeah, definitely. Like we were going for like. Um you know, like a My Bloody Valentine kind of thing. Because, like, you know, especially after doing Anodyne, I think I was starting to become more interested in expressing myself differently than what we were doing on that band. And, you know, that band, towards the end, we kind of painted ourselves into a corner stylistically, you know. It's like, uh, you know, it just became more and more just about, like, chaos and fucking non-songs and shit like that. You know what I mean? And, like... (laughs) And, uh, you know, without having any real, like, anything for people to hold on to or that kind of thing. That that was just, like, we were getting further and further into that realm. And I was, like, getting bored with that style. And, uh, you know, I was, like, finding myself drawn more and more to, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, that maybe I'd listened to earlier, like Joy Division and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Swerve Driver was another big band for sure. Uh, My Bloody Valentine and a lot of that kind of shoegazy stuff. But I wanted it to be framed within like um, like a rock, like a hard rocking kind of vibe instead of, right? you know, like, you know what I'm saying, man. Like a lot of, I, I still, I don't think I have ever really been able to flawlessly incorporate that into anything I've done yet, but someday maybe. But uh, that band was like an attempt at doing that, and um, in general, I consider that record kind of a failure, really. You know, but whatever. Yeah, you're not a fan of you're not a fan of that record. Nah, there was just too many, you know, things going on. Like, as far underneath everything, like personally, not not against Jamie. Like, I know that there's any anytime you do read something about Versoma, people like to they try to like you know hit the two of us against each other somehow you know like this was like you know two guys you like could you know i don't believe that was the case at least not on my end like i i fucking love jamie man we're still friends to this day and like you know he's like one of my favorite people but um once that band finished i went off and i did tombs and he went off and continued uh with gods and queens and you can tell that there's two completely different um statements going on there with both bands you know so right and actually some Um, of the some of the material on the first tombs ep was uh originally songs that i had worked on for the next versoma stuff too so there's that overlap i was yeah i was figuring i was figuring that that was the, the the 2007 the black box recordings which was your label right that the tombs ep that's the one you're talking about yeah, that was put out between me and uh, Level Level Plane had a hand in that too. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, my favorite two favorite tracks. I know there's only uh, you know it's only 18 minute long records. So there's not a lot of tracks, but uh, symbols and abbreviations and Black Train. And I'm gonna guess since you sing on those, you wrote both of those songs. Um. Yeah. I I I, uh, I would say you're correct about that. And um. Yeah, I feel like symbols and abbreviations. Uh, that song was never really completed. Like it feels like, like a sketch of a song, and then we just recorded it. And okay, that's it. You know, that's the song. And um, <laughs> you know, well, I dig it. 
Oh, thanks, man. You know, I think uh, that. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people out there, even though you have some jaded feelings about the outcome of this, which is understandable, man. You're in the band. I think there are people out there though that are fans of of Anodyne and Tunes that would dig this if they knew it was out there. So I kind of want to bring it to light, let people know it's out there. Yeah, you check know? you know, check it out, man. You know, decide for yourself what you think about it. You know, it's, for me, it's like probably my least favorite thing I've ever done, but. You know, it doesn't mean that there's no, I mean, I'm proud I did it. I'm glad I did it, but it's not like uh, the most um, epic thing I think I've ever done. So, you know. Uh, it can still be good, though. You know? Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll let the, uh, you know, the general popula- population decide that, Mike. Yeah, you can probably find it, uh, like, in, like, a four-pack of uh, records somewhere. You know, like, one of these. You know how, like, <laughs> I'm underwear. You know how back, uh, like, back, when you'd go to like uh, truck stops, there'd be those like value packs of pornography you could buy with like, there's like yeah. three magazines and like a cellophane wrap, uh, you know, and then there's like the two one covers and then the, the inside one is like some sketchy like black and white porno. The Versoma record would be that equivalent of a record to that black and white sketchy porno that comes for free. So there you go. Those those packs are called three for tens. Oh, three, wow. three for ten dollars. Really? Okay. Uh, so you could buy it that way, or you could just go to like Apple Music or Spotify <laughs> or something because it's it, it's on there too. Oh wow, that's great! I didn't know that. Wow. It's definitely on Apple Music. I don't have Spotify, but it's on Apple Music, so it's probably on Spotify. Um, and it, you know, I think there's vinyl and CD of that floating around. If you just uh, Google it, you know, I think there's some on Discogs for for pretty good. Uh, Good prices. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, man. My final record is the Gun Club Las Vegas story. And, um, yeah, you know, none, none of these records I picked are particularly metal, but they're, uh, they're records that I just been just really into for a long time. Like, it's, I mean, in the last like month, I've really been diving back into the Gun Club and, uh, Anyone who listens to Everything Went Black will know this. Uh, my most recent, a uh, couple of recent episodes, I talked about the Gun Club and finding this record a trash American style and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, Las Vegas Story was, uh, was their third LP, came out in 1985, and it was dedicated to Debbie Harry. And I know that <laughs> Jeffrey Lee Pierce was uh, like the a huge Debbie Harry fan and he was um like the president of the Debbie Harry fan club and uh, a couple of really important things about this record is uh Kid Congo came back he'd been in the band on the Fire of Love record which was my runner up to uh crucial record by this band but Fire of Love was their debut and um right. Kid left the band to join the Cramps for about 3 years and he came back on this record then we got, of course, we have Jeffrey Lee on uh, vocals and guitar. And uh, Patricia Morrison on bass, who went on to be in uh, Sisters of Mercy, uh, The Damned. She played in The Damned for a while. And then she was also in uh, the L.A. punk band, The Bags. Uh, and then Terry Graham on drums. Oh, yeah. And I, I've interviewed Terry Graham on uh, Everything Went Black, you know, a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, this is... Uh, if you ever want to get in the gun club, Fire of Love is cool, but this is my go-to record, Las Vegas Story. It's um, 
Have you ever heard this one before? Oh, God, man. Yes, of course, man. Of course. I'm a huge Gun Club fan. And ironically, not because of, uh, you know, any research for the show or anything. I didn't even know you were picking this record till the other day. I have also been on a deep dive with uh, Gun Club. I don't know if it's like my anticipation for fall. They're another one of those bands I like to listen to a lot in the fall. Um, yeah, dude, I've been, I love this record. I've, I've loved it for a long time. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, Fire of Love is like the one everyone thinks of. That's, you know, their first record's great. Uh, I love this record. It's probably my favorite, although I love Miami a lot too. Um, yeah. Those, like, perfect, they're just perfect records. I mean, two of my favorite Gun Club songs of all time on this record Secret Fires and My Dreams. Love those two songs. Those make like every every playlist I do pretty <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know I agree with everything you say about this record. Uh, I absolutely love it. It was not my introduction to them. I was Fire of Love. You know, I ended up buying that first, digging it. But I like this more. And uh, you know, like you said, the return of King Congo Powers on guitar and like a couple things about him, man. Like what a resume <laughs> that guy had. Early career, dude. Gun Club, Cramps, Gun Club, back to the Gun Club, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds early on. I mean, that's three pretty pretty important fucking band to be a part of, you know? Um, inc- just incredible. And didn't, didn't you, not so long ago, get a chance to meet Kid Congo? Yeah, I met Kid. We, um, we were at, uh, Toombs was playing in Philly at, uh, uh, the fuck, uh, Kung Fu Necktie. And uh, oh, yeah. we were playing the late show, and Kid Congo's band was playing the early show. So I was like, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I was like, holy shit, fucking Kid Congo was Norvell was fucking playing, man. And I, you know, I, got, I saw the set, I got to meet him, we talked for a minute. Fucking very, very cool moment in my life, you know? It was yeah. uh, very okay. cool talking to that dude. And um, yeah, man, I, I mean, you know, if if you're just, if you're into like death metal and black metal, like definitely like this is not probably for you. But if you want to try something else out and that just fucking quality music, check out Kids, all of his bands. You know, and then specifically this Gun Club record is like one of my favorite records of all time. You know. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It's, that's a that's a great pick, man. Like uh, <laughs> talking talking, we should probably do a whole episode on the Gun Club sometime. But yeah. uh, did you ever get a chance to see them live? Oh no no no! That was you know I, you know I would they I I never saw them man. I mean Jeffrey Lee died and you know most of their career was like I wasn't even oh you know trying to find out where they were playing and you know that that I never got a chance to see these guys. That would have been great. Yeah yeah I think I'm not sure when they stopped touring in like what like then late not, or mid nineties or something like that maybe. I mean, I didn't even really find out about them full on until I think, I don't know, like the 80s, like 87 maybe. I'm trying to remember when I picked that record up. But it was that Trash American style. And um, I can't really, yeah, my memory's starting to go on this shit. But yeah. But yeah, man, that's uh, that's my last pick, man. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy hitter yeah. to take it out. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll hit you guys next time. Take care. I'm a thousand miles below.
Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.